Hey, good morning, Shades Mountain. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 25. And uh, we're going to uh, take a look at a couple of kings there. Uh, it was uh, Pope Gregory the Great at the end of the 6th century. And he took all the sins that were listed in the Bible and he placed them under seven headings. And he called them the seven deadly sins. And the very first sin that he had was the sin of pride, and which many would say is probably the most dangerous sin. And because it started with Lucifer created as an angel uh, falling uh, from heaven as he had this rebellion against God. And in Isaiah 14, 14, it says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So it all began with pride. And as, as sin began to germinate, it all started with pride. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, he's got a chapter, and in, in one of the chapters in the book is called The Greatest Sin in the World, and he writes about pride. So he covers pride, there's a long discussion on pride, and then he gets to the very end of the chapter, and this is how he summarizes it. If you have read this, and you're convinced that this does not apply to you, then it certainly does apply to you. <laughs> In other words, if you don't think that you struggle with pride, then you're the proudest person of all and you are in great danger. I got no problem with pride. Whoa, watch out on there. So what is pride? Well, pride is that mental and moral condition that precedes almost all other sins. It's a revolting conceit that swaggers in the presence of men and it struts in the presence of the Almighty. It is a self-righteousness and a self-sufficiency that blinds us to our greatest condition and our true need. It's that self-sufficiency. It's that self-righteousness. And I've got everything and I've covered all my bases. And what it is is it's masking what your true condition is. And I've entitled the sermon as being Pride the Deadliest Sin. And the reason I've chosen that title is that because of pride that gets out of hand, it can cause the death of a relationship. It can cause the death of a career. It can cause the death of a dream. And it can also cause physical death temporally and also even eternally. And so pride is something that we need to talk about and need to deal with. And so this morning, I want us to look at two very successful Old Testament kings who started out really good and crashed and burned at the end. And, and there's a similarity between their stories. And one thing is their father and son. And so uh, before we look at those two kings, let me give you a couple of, of thoughts on pride that I want you to write down. And this is the first one. The first point about pride is that God hates pride. God hates pride. In Psalm 101 verse 5, it says, whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. And in Proverbs 16, 5 says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go un." 
punished. Now, does that surprise you that God says, I detest the proud in heart? No, we don't even like people that are prideful. And so when we don't like people that are bowing up and are, are prideful, for sure it says that God doesn't. And the reason God doesn't like it is because a person of a proud heart is trying to take glory for something that should go to God. And so anytime we take away glory and honor from God, God is not going to like that. God is going to detest that. He is the only one who's to receive honor and glory. And so not only do we see that God hates pride, but the second thing is that pride leads to destruction. Pride leads to destruction. And when you think about pride leads to destruction, there's a verse in, in Proverbs that is quoted both uh, in biblical circles and in secular circles, and that is that pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. Pride goes before destruction. You've heard people say it constantly. Well, that pride goes before the fall, and that is so true. And so it leads us to destruction, and that is where you will see when you pick up your scriptures, starting in 2 Chronicles chapter 25, you will see the story of Amaziah, a man who started out really well, but then a little bit at the end had a crash and burn. It tells you a little bit about him when you look in verse 2 of chapter 25. It says, Amaziah, he was a king in Judah, and it says, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not with a whole or loyal heart. It means that there was a part of him that eh, really wasn't kind of given in to that. And what you find is some seeds have been sown that are going to come back and harvest later on. Well, as Amaziah is starting his rule, he needs to put together an army. And Judah is the southern tribe. He's got this tribe of Judah and tribe of Benjamin. And so he's putting together because he's wanting to fight a big battle, so he's got to get his army together. As he's putting his army together, he gets this bright idea that not only should I get people from Judah, which is the southern part, but we could go up into Israel, which is larger, and get some mercenaries from Israel, pay them money to come and join our army. Sound like a good idea. Well, a prophet came to him and he said, hey, Amaziah, God says this is not a good idea. They have turned so far away from God that God doesn't want those guys in your army. You don't need them. God will win the battle for you. You don't need them. And so Amaziah listened to the prophet, took the mercenaries, gave them a check, and sent them on their way. And then he joined his forces together that he had, and he fought the dreaded Edomites. Now, most people thought that the Edomites would have beaten Judah, but not this time. Judah wins this battle, and it's a convincing battle. And so everybody's high-fiving. They're feeling great. Uh, we've won the battle. We've pushed out the enemy. Uh, the land is, is safe. We're feeling, feeling good about ourselves. And so you're reading this, and Amaziah, hey, he's a guy who's been seeking the Lord. Listen to what God's got to say. This sounds pretty good. Sounds like everything's going well. And then you read verse 14. And look what verse 14 says. And after Amaziah came from striking down the Edomites, he brought the gods of the men of Seir. That's where the Edomites live. He brought the gods of the men of Seir, and he set them up as his gods, and he worshiped them, making offerings to them. What? I had to read that about two or three times. And hold it, just you know, let me see if I got this straight. Okay, the Edomites are worshiping these worthless gods, okay? 
your God leads you into battle against them and their gods. Your God beats their gods. Then you pick up their gods and bring them home and said, we're going to worship you. What? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. They couldn't even protect their, their people. Why are you bringing them in and putting them in this position to be able to worship them? It just it didn't, make, it didn't make any sense. Well, if you didn't think it made sense, then God agrees with you. Because in verse 15, God gets pretty angry about it, and then he wants to do something about it. Verse 15, he says, Therefore the Lord was angry with Amaziah, and he sent to him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of a people who did not deliver their own people from your hand? (laughs) Same thing we're saying. And then God sends him over there. And it's a prophet to go to him and say, man, this doesn't make any sense. Why are you worshiping the gods that didn't deliver you? I don't understand that. And I remember as I read this, I kept reading it over and over. And I said, I I just don't understand how anybody could be that crazy to do it. And it's almost like if God's spirit spoke to me, he says, Danny, this is what you do and we all do. Is that we will worship those gods of our culture and our society. And even though they're the ones that don't deliver. So I began to think about this and say, this is what we constantly do. We choose to serve the fleeting gods of our culture and society in place of serving the eternal almighty Jehovah God. We seek our significance and security in our work rather than seeing value as a child of God. We place our pursuit of success ahead of our pursuit of God. We obsess on presenting a misleading, perfect image on our social media rather than being content as a child of the king. We are consumed with materialism and getting more and more stuff Rather than leaning on Matthew 6, 33, where he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you. We prioritize our energy and our efforts into gaining position and popularity and privileges and fulfilling every lustful desire. These are the gods we prop up and we worship with our time and our resources. And yet, these are the same gods that leave us empty, confused, unsatisfied, and they bring more harm than good with lasting negative consequences. We, we do what Amaziah does. And so while we're reading this, and it's like a McFly moment. McFly, are you in there? You know, from Back to the Future. And, and this guy's like knocking, the prof is like knocking on his head saying, do you not understand this? Well, after I read 14 and 15, my first thought was, I go back to verse 2 where Amaziah was, you know, seeking the Lord and was doing things right in the eyes of the Lord. I thought verse 16 was, he was going to say, you know what? You're right. What was I thinking? I just kind of got off the rails a little bit. I'm sorry. I need to get rid of those gods and get back. I thought for sure that's what he'd say. (laughs) Whoa, look what he does. Verse 16. But as the prophet was speaking, The king said to him, have we made you a royal counselor? Hey, did we put you on staff over here? Stop. Why should you be struck down? Now, what he just did, he just threatened him. And he said, you need to stop talking. If you go much further, I'm taking you out. And when the king takes you out, it's just not out back. It's out, out, okay? (laughs) You don't come back. And he's threatening this prophet. What's up with this? I mean, what the prophet said was so correct, but yet from him, 
That wasn't it. And you know what God did? As he was continuing to speak to this prophet, this prophet is the typical preacher. Because when he says, stop and don't say anything else, look what he says. So the prophet stopped, but he didn't really stop, okay? It's, this is where we learned in seminary to say, uh, I got one final point. And we do that like eight times until uh, we get to the end. <clears throat> but he says right here, he says, so the prophet stopped, but he said, this is his parting shot as he walked out the door. I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. I know that God is going to destroy you because you've done this. You've worshiped these idols. And you did not listen to my counsel. And why did he not listen to his counsel? It's because of pride. He made a mistake with the gods. God didn't take him out. What he said is, I sent somebody to warn you about that. You were doing something wrong. But what happened is, is when the word of warning came, he didn't want to put up with that. You know why? He's the king. He's the king. I don't need to listen to you on that. And because pride built up in him, he said, God's going to end up taking you down. Now, you want to see where his pride went? Verse 17, he goes get some other counsel. He says, Israel's made an attack against us over here in Judah, and I think we need to go and fight Israel. And so he says in verse 17, Amaziah, the king of Judah, took counsel, and he sent to Joash, the king of Israel, and he said, come let us look one another in the face. That's fighting words. That's what he means. Come let us look one another in the face. Uh, that's just, let's have a fight. If you're a hockey fan, it's like, let's dance, okay? Take the gloves off, let's dance. Baseball, let's have a brawl. Everybody clear out of the dugouts, we're gonna have a fight. He said, we need to get face to face, you and me. Judah and Israel, take it on right now, all right? Israel is this. Judah is this. And this says, I want to fight this. You think he's crazy? Even the king of Israel thinks he's crazy. Look what he says, verse 18. And Joash, the king of Israel, sent word to Amaziah, the king of Judah, and he tells him a story. He says, a thistle on Lebanon sent to a cedar on Lebanon saying, give your daughter to my son for a wife. And a wild beast of Lebanon passed by and trampled down the thistle. Now, this is great Old Testament humor. It doesn't pass real good in 2019 in Birmingham. But what he is saying is that you are like a thistle talking to a huge cedar tree. And you're saying, how about your daughter coming to marry my son? Okay, there ain't no way we're going to do that. And in the midst of you talking, a wild beast just trampled over and just knocked you out. He says, you're nothing. And then he understands the situation because he says in verse 19, you say, see, I have struck down Edom and your heart has lifted you up in boastfulness. You're so prideful because you beat Edom. But now stay at home. Why should you provoke trouble so that you fall, you and Judah, with you. Yes, you won, you beat Edom, but you don't even want to come and mess with us. So when I read this, my mind, believe it or not, went to college football, okay? And so Ryan Brown, how many days before college football? 55, Ryan Brown says, 55 days until college football. Always good to have an expert in the crowd over here. Is that 
you'll see this, and it happens almost every year, that as the season progresses and you get almost over halfway of the season, some smaller school is, is getting a little bit of success, and they're kind of getting prideful and thinking they're really good. And sure enough, the camera will span over in the student section, and some misguided student will hold up a sign, and it will say, we want Bama. And the announcer will say exactly what I am saying sitting in my chair, be careful what you wish for, okay? That would be a beat down in epic proportions. Well, this is what the king of uh, uh, Judah is doing. He's saying, we want Israel. And the king of Israel is going, you don't even want to mess with us. You don't even want to come over here. But Amaziah, he's so prideful, he says, I'm going. I think we can take you. And they fought. He got waxed. I mean, Judah just got waxed. And he got captured. Then they came in and they destroyed part of the walls of Jerusalem, just marched right in. They went into the temple. They told, stole some of the treasures. They went in the palace, stole some treasures from there, did some other victories along the way, completely dispirited uh, Amaziah. And from that point forward, his son was kind of having to co-reign with him, who was at 16 years old at the time. And it was just a terrible decision. But it doesn't end there. Verse 27, it doesn't end well. In verse 27, it says, From the time when he turned away from the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. But they sent after him to Lachish, and they put him to death there. From the moment he turned against the Lord. His pride. His pride had grown so much that uh, it led to his demise. Now, He's got a son, Uzziah, and uh, his son, Uzziah, is 16 years old. So now he's going to co-reign with his dad. And Uzziah, when he starts out, whoa, this guy starts out on fire. If you've got your Bibles on channel, on channel, <laughs> chapter 26, yeah, turn to channel 26. It's incredible what you'll watch here. Uh, on chapter 26, it says for Uzziah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. So he took all the good things that his dad had done, and he was doing it like his dad. But verse 5 is so sweet. It says, he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah. He set himself. This is going to be his focus. I'm going to seek God in the days of Zechariah. That's a different Zechariah, not the one that wrote uh, the book in the Old Testament. But this is either a prophet or a religious uh, mentor. And he said, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. This guy started out right. He was seeking the Lord in everything he did. He had an accountability partner. He had a mentor. Uh, he's learning the things of God. It's just incredible. And if you went through verses 6 through 14, just what he did was amazing. He set his face on God. And when he set his face on God, he then kicked into high gear. He took over the Philistines over here. And every time he'd capture one of their cities, he would then build, uh, build up that city as a defense place for, for them to, uh, to hang out, for Israel to be. He started a port down the southernmost part of, uh, uh, of his kingdom. He expanded all of its borders. He started some agricultural reform so that the people could be fed in the land. And then he outfitted his, his soldiers with the best of equipment. They had sophisticated warfare. And even there's one verse in there that makes you think that they even came up with a catapult that was up there on the walls of Jerusalem to be able to help provide for their defense. I mean, this guy's covered it all. And I mean, everything he's touched is doing well. 
And it's saying that, that God was, was, was with him and God was <clears throat> helping him have victories. In verse 7, God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians. And he just keeps getting, getting stronger and stronger and his fame is, is spreading. And look what he says in verse 8. Verse 8, it says, and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. Verse 15, and his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. And verse 16, but when he was strong, three different times, he was strong. This guy was strong. His fame was everywhere. And he was strong in the Lord. He was, he was strong in power. He was strong in his age and maturity. He was strong in experience. And as we're picking up this, this account, many believe he'd been ruling for all close to 40 years. So it's like he's in his mid-50s, mid to late 50s. And he's had so much success. And God has been with him. They are even talking about looking at all of the kings. That you got David and Solomon. That's the gold standard. And that when you look at Uzziah, he is close to these guys. He is the best king they've had since David and Solomon. He is in high cotton. This guy is loved by all. This guy is respected. Everything's rolling good for him. He's at the height of his reign. And at the height of his reign, when they're talking about him being strong, in fact, his name, Uzziah, Uzziah, his name means the Lord is my strength. Can you believe that? That's his name. So every time he'd walk up, say, hey, Lord is my strength. How you doing? Hey, <laughs> doing good. The Lord is my strength. And he lived it out. He lived out his namesake. Until you get to the second part of verse 16. In all of the strength, in all of the fame, then you get verse 16. It says, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. He grew proud to his destruction. His, his success that led him to his downfall. It was his pride that swelled out of those many achievements he had and began to cause his failure. And that pride resulted in unfaithfulness to the Lord, which we're getting ready to read about. He'd grown in his greatness and considerable wealth, fame, and power. And instead of lifting up the name of God, you know what he did? He rested on those accomplishments, and his prideful heart led him to distraction and to destruction. No longer was he seeking after God. He was taking the pats on the back, reading his resume and all of the press clippings. And uh, with all of the accomplishments and achievements that he had, his character was lagging behind. His character could not keep up with his accomplishments. And he was able to accomplish too much, have too many good things happening. And as they were happening, his character lagged behind and pride began to envelop him. Now he thought that he'd done so much business and won so much honor, he began to think no business, no honor was too great or too good for him. So with this lofty feeling of power, he thought that what he would do is he would be like the high priest of, uh, of the kingdom of Judah. Now God had been very clear that the Levites, those that uh, were of the lineage of Aaron, that they would be the priest and only they could go into the temple to offer sacrifices and burn the incense. There was a clear uh, line of demarcation. But look what happens in verse 16. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. 
This brings us to our third point, and that is that pride pushes you to do the unthinkable. Pride pushes you to do the unthinkable. If I could take you back for just a second to Amaziah, he worshiped those foreign gods that he just conquered. What's up with that? That's just unthinkable. Why would you do that? And when a man of God comes, a prophet of God, to give you a word and you threaten him, you just completely discount him, that's just unthinkable. Well, why would you do that? And then all of a sudden you want to go attack Israel. Why? Why are you, these things don't make any sense. But yet what it is is pride was driving there and it gets you to do things that are unthinkable. Guess what Uzziah does? He's getting ready to enter into the sanctuary with a censer to burn the incense. And the incense, what this is, when you come into the temple, it's the continuing prayers of the people to God. And only those who are the priests can go and, and offer those. And he's bringing it in there. He knows he's not supposed to do that. It's written out in the book of Numbers. It's written in the Mosaic Law. But look what it says in verse 17. So when he went in there to burn incense, but Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. 80 priests. There is history with the kings of Israel and Judah. And that sometimes when a priest crossed the king, they'll kill the priest. These 80 said, hey, this is too important. We're going in. And look what they did. They withstood King Uzziah and they said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense, go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. So it is like, it's like when these 80 people are talking to him, it is almost like what you see on TV with someone with a gun. Drop the gun and step out of the room. Drop the censer, leave the censer, and back out of the sanctuary. Come on, come on out. And again, it's McFly, what are you thinking? And you would think that all the things he'd done, he'd go, you know what? This is ridiculous. What am I doing in here? Thank you for straightening me out. Nope. His first response was this. Then Uzziah was angry. You know, his dad did the same thing. Prophet came, told him what he needed to do. He got angry and said, hey, I can have you killed. He says, Uzziah got angry. And he got angry. And as he got angry, he says, I'm going to do this no matter what. Well, God intervened. And it says, now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priest in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they, <clears throat> and they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out, because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, he lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. It pushes you to do the unthinkable. And uh, I thought about, just for us, when you think about that, Pride builds up within us. It pushes us to do the unthinkable. It's like you never thought that you'd ever cheat on your schoolwork, but you did. You never thought you'd lose your virginity before marriage. 
You never thought that when you married that you would be unfaithful to your spouse. You never thought that divorce was even on the radar screen, much less a viable option. You never thought you would consider an unethical business deal, much less even listen as the plan was placed on your desk. You never thought you'd be like those unhappy, miserable people in church who have the spiritual gift of criticism and complaining, yet today you are one. I mean, these are things you, you just never thought. And what happens is pride pushes you to do the unthinkable. I remember reading in a book where they said, just think if, uh, if you were sitting having lunch with Uzziah 10 years before this and said, hey, let me give you this scenario. Let's just say that, that you go in there and grab a censer and you're going to go into the sanctuary. You're going to light it up and, and, and provide incense there in the, uh, in the sanctuary and do that. Uh, would you do that? He would laugh at him. He says, are you crazy? I would never do that. But you see what happened is that pride began to build. And then all of a sudden he did something that was unthinkable. Next point is this. Pride is a subtle cancer. Pride is a subtle cancer. It quietly spreads in a number of areas until it consumes your life. I've read where it says pride is like a degenerative eye disease that gradually blinds you. Its progress is so slow you don't even realize that you're losing your spiritual vision and that you're being consumed with pride until it is too late. There was some point in Uzziah's life to where he shifted from trusting God to trusting his accomplishments. And in rather going to God, he was going to his resume and going to his achievements and listening to all the people that were patting him on his back. And that is what began to drive him rather than seeking the face of God, which is what he'd done the majority of his life. It was when he arrived, he became prideful of the accomplishments and he stopped doing the things that got him to that position. Now, I'm speaking to a group, in, uh, an over-the-mountain group, and and typically success-oriented and, and trying to move forward. And every one of us could be at a place of danger of once you have accomplished those things and once you've, you've reached some of those goals and those desires and, and the recognitions and all that goes with it and the positions and the privileges and all those things, then once you arrived, that can be your most dangerous time because this is what happened to both those kings and then that's when they fell. Let me tell you this, pride prevents brokenness. Pride prevents brokenness. This is one of the reasons pride is so dangerous and why I said it is a deadly sin. Because Amaziah was confronted by a prophet and his response was to taunt him and get him out of his sight. Uzziah, 80 people, 80 priests said, this is wrong didn't listen to him. Pride had grown so much in him that it just prevented brokenness. Rather than his heart being broken saying, I am doing the wrong thing, boom, no. And whether uh, Amaziah to say, I shouldn't be worshiping those gods, no. Pride had gotten such a place in their life that they were callous to brokenness and thus they ignored God's warnings and they ignored it to their own detriment. In both of these illustrations, both these kings were doing something wrong. Worshiping false gods, wrong. Going into the uh, sanctuary, taking that censer, wrong. Did God just strike them down? Not at all. He brought somebody to them to say, hey, you're doing something wrong. You need to turn your focus back on God. And they rejected it because of their pride. And once the pride stepped in, then God said, I'm stepping in. And that 
is when judgment came. Wasn't just judged because of the sin, it was judged because of sin and the pride. And once the pride took over, there was not going to be any brokenness, and God said, here come the consequences for that. So as we walk out this day and you're saying, well, I'm so happy I came here for this message, let me give you something great to walk out. Are you ready? All right. <laughs> Turn to this channel. Are you ready? Number six. This is it. This and truly is as we close. Are you ready? Dealing with pride. Let me just give you three things I want you to write down. This is great for every one of us. Number one, beware of spiritual indifference. Beware of spiritual indifference. Read the book, A Finishing Strong by Steve Farrar, and this is one of the things he put in his book. And he says, it's an ever so gradual cooling of your spiritual temperature. And that usually I give in to pride because my, I give in to a spiritual indifference. I'm no longer seeking God the way I used to. I'm no longer seeking to read God's word like I used to. I'm no longer having those quiet times like I used to. I no longer value those quiet walks with God where I'm just talking to him and he's talking to me. I don't do those anymore. I don't read my Bible anymore. I'm not hanging out with those Christian friends anymore. And I'm getting further and further away from the things I used to do. And there's this coldness and this spiritual indifference. And when that happens, I begin to just puff up with pride. Number two is this, replace your sense of power with service. Replace your sense of power with service. Whenever you're in a position of pride, it means you probably have, have a position of power. And it says, replace that sense of power with service. Seek out other people's needs and serve them. Quit sitting back reading your own resume and talking about how wonderful you are and looking at all your great accomplishments. Take your mind off of that. Find somebody in need and say, how can I help you? There was a statement that I read that I love. It's called, become a facilitator of another's agenda. Become a facilitator of another's agenda. Man, that's just great. You find somebody who's got some ministry agenda or something they want to do in life, you become a facilitator of their agenda. How can I help you be able to accomplish what you want to do? How can I help you through this situation that you're going through? How can I help you? And then all of a sudden, I'm not thinking about myself. What I'm doing, I'm focusing on others and say, God, how can you use me to help them? So it starts out by getting out of that spiritual indifference, getting back into a warm relationship with God, get that red-hot conviction going, then taking my eyes off of myself, put them on someone else. And then the third one, which is, you're not going to want to write this down, but I'm asking you to. Ask God to open your eyes and show you your pride. Ask God to open your eyes and show you your pride. And when you do that, don't be defensive with the answers that you get. Because if you, if you pray this prayer and you say, open my eyes, I want you to show me my pride, it means that those who are closest to you will be the ones that will tell you about your pride. And we don't want to hear it. Because those are the ones that hurts the most. It'll be a spouse. It'll be a child. It'll be a coworker, And we really don't want to hear that. But we need to but we need to. And we need to say thank you. And we can respond as those kings and get angry, or we can take it and say, boy, I'm glad you pointed that out. I want to get back on the rails. I want to get back on my walk with God, and, uh, and I want to serve him, and I want to finish strong. Okay? Let me listen to a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing these uh, episodes to be recorded in your word. Because, Father, in our honest moments, every one of us can relate to this. We've all been victims of pride and, and puffing ourselves up at, at times. 
and, and us taking honor and glory away from you. And so, Lord, I pray that each of us, that as we, as we um, uh, take these moments, may we think about your word and think about your spirit to speak into our hearts and to um, point out any of those areas. May we live a life that brings honor and glory to you in everything that we say and do. And, uh, and may we be those who seek your face constantly. We thank you, Lord, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.